Chapter Two of the Incubator Baby by Ellis Parker Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It must be said, to the credit of incubators and science, that Marjorie was a beautifully normal baby. Mrs. Fielding took the greatest possible satisfaction in that. She was always ready to show Marjorie's record charts to visitors, and it was touching to see with what motherly pride she exhibited them. There was not another baby in the town that had maintained such an even temperature, such a steady respiration, or such a reliably even pulse. Mr. Fielding was no less proud of the record. He bragged about it at the club, and tried to induce his married friends to allow their babies to enter temperature matches with Marjorie, offering to wager two to one that Marjorie could maintain a normal temperature for a longer time than any baby of her age and weight. When Marjorie reached six months, Mr. Fielding decided that she deserved a reward of merit, and he made her a present of an oak filing cabinet of sixteen drawers, together with three thousand index cards. There was the food drawer, with cards for every day of the year, and places on each card to note the time of every feeding, the ounces of food taken, the minutes Marjorie required to take the food the formula of the food, and the average cost of food per hour. There was the clothing drawer, with cards on which to record the weight of clothing worn, the temperature of the air, the number of pieces of clothing worn, the method by which the garments were washed, and, for remarks on the comparative good effects of cotton, wool, silk, and linen garments. There were cards for sleep records, weight records, temperature, respiration, and pulse records. In fact, Marjorie was analyzed and specified until one can tell at a glance just how many thousandths of an ounce of food she consumed for each beat of her heart, or how many times she breathed per pound of clothing worn. Unfortunately, the nurse Chiswick objected. She threatened to leave. She said her professional training had not included card systems, and that even if she had had a modern business education, she had no time to keep such multitudinous records. Mr. Fielding promptly engaged a private secretary for Marjorie. Miss Vickers knew all about card index systems. She loved two things passionately—card systems and babies— and then, just when a record card had been allotted to every function of Marjorie's pink and white body, a complication arose. Marjorie developed a will and a temper. She decided that she had reached the age when she ought to sit alone. She looked upon the world and saw Chiswick sitting upright and Miss Vickers sitting upright, and she longed to sit upright, too. For six months she had reposed docilely upon her back or her stomach, with occasional variations of lying on one side or the other, and she felt that she had had enough of it. It was time to have a backbone and to take her place as a sitter. She told Chiswick so plainly enough. When Chiswick laid her on her back, she yelled and raised her head. When Chiswick laid her on her stomach, she turned over upon her back and raised her head and yelled. A little more and she would have been able to sit up without aid. Her head and her neck sat up, as far as they could. At least they flopped forward and tossed from side to side, but her backbone would not follow. It continued to repose in placid flatness on the pillow. Marjorie was very angry with her backbone. She got quite purple in the face about it at times, and choked. 
Chiswick was very dense. Marjorie's head and neck explained again and again what they wanted to do, but Chiswick could not understand them. She did not appreciate that it was ambition. She thought it was colic. She pepperminted Marjorie until the sight of the peppermint spoon made Marjorie tremble with rage, and when Marjorie had absorbed ounces and ounces of peppermint water, Chiswick decided that Marjorie was past the colic age anyway. Miss Vickers discovered what Marjorie wanted. I believe, she said, that the child wants to sit up. And then she tried it. That is why Marjorie loved Miss Vickers and hated Chiswick and Peppermint from that day onward. It would have all ended there if Marjorie had been willing to compromise, but she was not willing. The first day she might have been willing, but when a person has cried steadily for three days and has fought such a good fight, she feels it's her right to dictate terms. She would not compromise on an angle of forty-five degrees. She refused to be satisfied with a plump downy pillow at her back. She would sit upright and alone, or yell. Not that it mattered that she sat upright and unsupported, except that she could not. Miss Vickers would seat her so and steady her for a moment, but when the protecting hands were removed, Marjorie unfailingly collapsed. Sometimes she sank backward upon her pillow, wavering her arms impotently, but usually she doubled disgracefully forward until her nose bumped against her knee or toppled to one side or the other like a pulpy fallen idol. Her backbone was irritatingly pliable, somewhat like a wet rag in stiffness. It was a poor affair, as backbones go. She might quite as well have not had any. It made Marjorie remarkably angry. She spent three entire days in a continuous round of being set up and crumpling down again into the various bunchy shapes, and each day her temper grew more violent. For the first time in her life she cried real tears. Mrs. Fielding was usually busy. Her club life was engrossing, but when for three days in succession the index cards bore the words, cried all day, she felt it her duty to investigate. She went to the nursery indignant. "'Well, ma'am,' said Chiswick, "'I don't know how to stop her. "'My opinion is that it's temper. "'She will sit up, ma'am, and she can't. "'We set her up like she wants, "'and then she topples down and hollers. "'She hollers if we do, and she hollers if we don't. "'You can do a thing or you can leave it undone, "'and there ain't nothing else you can do. "'There ain't anything between them two ways. "'If there was, we might suit her.' "'You should distract her attention,' said Mrs. Fielding. "'She won't distract,' declared Chiswick. "'She made up her mind to sit up alone, which she can't, "'and she gets in a temper over it, "'and her temper's getting worse right along.' "'Mrs. Fielding looked at her daughter doubtfully. "'Perhaps she needs a little punishment,' she suggested. "'But I'm not sure that the latest authorities approve of punishment. "'I will let you know. "'I should like to consult others before acting.' Mrs. Fielding laid the matter before the Mother's Club at its next meeting. She found the Mother's Club to be frankly and openly divided on the question. Mothers who had at first held the most modern ideas had fallen into laxly illogical methods, and instead of taking broad views of the infant as a theoretical subject, had become rank individualists. Mrs. Jones could talk only of Johnny Jones, and Mrs. Smith argued all questions to and from Susie Smith. 
mrs fielding found no satisfaction there and at length appealed to the monthly convocation of the local federation of women's clubs which included the best intellect of all the women of the city when the federation had finished considering the question mrs fielding found that she was one of the committee of four appointed to direct the growth of marjorie in mind body and soul the federation had undertaken to guide marjorie through the pitfalls of infancy miss martha wiles of the browning club was made chairman of the committee miss vesey of the higher life circle and miss loring of the physical good guild were members of it and mrs fielding was added at the last moment to represent the mothers club because the other members of the mothers club said they had enough to do to look after their own babies when the committee convened in the fielding nursery to consider marjorie's temper marjorie greeted it with a sweet smile the committee sat on the sofa and marjorie sat in her crib she had conquered her backbone and was on good terms with it and the world again the committee entered upon its duties enthusiastically it began by studying the records of marjorie it meant daily to adopt rules and regulations and spent hours over the card cabinet until it became thoroughly acquainted with marjorie's averages then it made out a schedule of normal development for mind and body chiswick viewed the schedule skeptically it's a nice schedule ma'am i'll say that much for it she said but if the day comes when she's entered to creep and she don't creep what am i going to do about it it's your duty to see that she does creep said miss wiles very well ma'am said chiswick but may i ask one question you may it is your duty to ask questions refer all your doubts to the committee replied miss wiles then said chiswick answer me this on page six of the records of the committee it says whereas the lower strata of air in a room are the abiding places of millions of germs and whereas children playing upon the floor must breathe said air and whereas children playing upon the floor take into their mouths and convey thence to their stomachs the said germs as well as pins lint needles buttons and other indigestible and highly injurious substances therefore be it resolved that the said marjorie fielding shall never be allowed to sit lie recline or rest upon the floor nor upon any rug blanket or other covering upon said floor what i want to know is how the child is to learn to creep if she isn't to be allowed on the floor the committee looked at itself questioningly miss loring giggled miss wiles alone saved the day you will of course she said haughtily give the child her lessons in creeping upon a table mrs fielding will see that one is provided when the committee was gone chiswick walked over to the crib where marjorie lay and looked at her doubtfully according to the schedule a creep was due from marjorie in six weeks and marjorie had only learned the art of sitting alone sitting alone at seven months is not bad progress for an incubator baby and marjorie was rather proud of it well said chiswick you've got to do it and if you've got to do it you might as well begin to learn now marjorie was lifted and deposited upon her rotund little stomach which protruded so much that she rocked back and forth upon it like a helpless hobby-horse she looked up at chiswick appealingly but saw only a stern taskmistress lie that way a while said chiswick coldly get used to it and she went away marjorie laid her cheek on the cool sheet and thought it was a rather pleasant position 
It gave her a comfortable compressed sensation below the waist. She liked it, but she could not afford to be idle. She raised her head and peered around as a tortoise peers, lengthening her neck. A foot beyond her reach she saw her rattle. She stretched her hands for it and only succeeded in bringing her pudgy little nose flat against the sheet. She kicked with her feet, but even that did not bring the rattle within reach. It only served to rock her gently to and fro on her stomach. Marjorie needed the rattle. She had still several hundred shakes to give it before her day's work would be complete. And the rattle needed Marjorie. It looked forlorn and lonely. Even as she considered the matter, Marjorie found that she was raising her body on her plump little arms. They were acting like little posts to elevate her shoulders and head. Then, in a most phenomenal way, one knee doubled itself and drew up under her body, and the other followed it, and she was on her hands and knees. From this frightfully elevated position the rattle appeared quite near, so near that it seemed as if she could touch it. She put out a hand, and lo, the whole fabric of herself that she had reared collapsed, and she was sprawled flat on the sheet. But the rattle certainly seemed nearer. She tried it again, and this time she put her hand forward only a little way, and followed it with the other. But she was firmly anchored at the rear, and there was no elasticity in her body. It would not stretch another inch. She thought of her legs reproachfully, but for them she might even now have the rattle. Her legs felt the reproach and wiggled with shame. They knew they were in disgrace, and they longed to come closer and nestle lovingly against Marjorie. One of them moved forward slowly and paused. Its fellow, fearing it was being deserted, moved up beside it. But cruel Marjorie moved her hands forward again. She could almost touch the rattle. One more forward movement of her legs, and— Chiswick, turning, saw it just in time. She was beside the crib in one bound, and her right hand pressed down upon Marjorie and squeezed her deep into the softness of the crib and held her there, kicking and squealing. "'Land sakes!' cried Chiswick. "'You're breaking the schedule. You can't creep now. The idea! What will that there committee say?' What will they say of you to that federation of clubs? You and me won't have no reputation left. Don't you ever creep till I say so. Never. She picked up the offended Marjorie and set her upright in the end of the crib. Marjorie rolled over upon her hands and knees. She wanted the rattle. She scoffed at schedules. Chiswick held her down with one hand and reached for the rattle with the other. Now I've got to watch you day and night, she grumbled or we'll be having resolutions made about us, and things voted, and land knows what. You'd break the whole constitution and bylaws, you would. Marjorie smiled gleefully and struggled to free herself. Chiswick tied her to the head of the crib with a strip of antiseptic bandage and entered in the day-book. Tried to creep, restrained by nurse. When the committee met again, they passed a resolution of thanks to Chiswick for her prompt action, and Marjorie's private secretary entered it on the records. As she wrote the last word, she looked at Marjorie and winked, and Marjorie smiled wickedly. 
there were hours when chiswick was off duty and then the private secretary was left alone in charge of marjorie and those were hours of riotous living the private secretary was scientific as a bookkeeper but as a nurse she was ignorantly human she scoffed at the higher life for women she ate candy and avoided as much as possible her physical good she refused to be emancipated she had an idea it meant something in the way of doing without lacing and wearing shoes a size too large for one so when she was left alone with marjorie they had a good time they sat on the floor and imbibed germs and they did all sorts of unscientific retrogressive things perhaps that was why marjorie remained a sweet cheerful baby instead of becoming a sour little old woman one evening when chiswick was away the private secretary and marjorie were having a romp on the floor of the nursery it was a handicap race a creeping match and the private secretary was handicapped by her skirts the two were so interested that they did not hear the nursery door open when marjorie had won the twenty-foot dash the private secretary turned and blushed with confusion and guilt mr fielding stood in the doorway a frown darkened his brow, and he looked at the private secretary with severity. Miss Vickers sprang to her feet hastily and brushed out the folds of her skirt. "'Well,' exclaimed Mr. Fielding, "'so this is how you behave? This is what you may be expected to do when you are trusted alone with the child? What do you suppose Mrs. Fielding and the committee would say?' The private secretary laughed. Marjorie laughed and clapped her hands. Mr. Fielding frowned and picked Marjorie up. He put her in the crib, and Marjorie, rudely taken from her playmate by this stern man, lifted up her voice and wailed. She turned red in the face and howled. There was a swish of silk skirts which never should be worn in the nursery, a rush of feet, and a hand pushed Mr. Fielding aside. With one sweep of her arms, the private secretary gathered Marjorie to her breast. "'What did you do to her?' she cried much you know about babies and all your silly committees mr fielding paused irresolute marjorie cooed gently in her protector's arms and her father looked at her curiously you-you don't believe in scientific motherhood he said to miss vickers he seemed to be asking for information seeking light on the question that had already raised itself in his mind scientific doesn't hurt any but needs some mother with it she replied see her smile mr fielding leaned forward cautiously she does doesn't she he said with curiosity i never saw that before it's quite interesting it's great exclaimed the private secretary you take her a minute and i'll show you something else mr fielding took her carefully the private secretary clapped her hands and marjorie looked toward her two hands baby she said and the two pink arms reached out to her. "'Well!' exclaimed Mr. Fielding. "'How human!' "'See if she'll do it for you,' suggested the girl. Mr. Fielding clapped his hands. Two hands,' he said. Marjorie looked at him good-naturedly. If he was willing to play, she could forgive everything. She reached out her hands and jumped toward her father. Before he knew how it happened, he had pressed his lips to her soft cheek and her hands were entangled in his hair. When the doorbell rang half an hour later, Mr. Fielding was on his hands and knees playing peekaboo with Marjorie. Miss Vickers swept her into her crib and helped him to arise hastily. 
Then she pushed him toward the door. "'It's Chiswick,' she whispered. "'Hurry!' "'Yes,' he whispered in return. "'We—we will keep this matter private. "'It is not necessary to inform anyone.' The private secretary watched him nervously while he gave Marjorie a last long kiss, and then she pushed him gently from the nursery. She really had to push him out. When Mrs. Fielding was appointed to read a paper on scientific motherhood at the annual convention of the National Federation of Women's Clubs, she accepted the task with due modesty, but not without a sense of complete fitness. Her mere presence in the distant convention city would in itself be a proof of the correctness of her theories. Under what other system could a mother leave her young baby and devote a week's absence to club duties? She felt quite at ease, however, for three remaining members of the committee of four were in charge of Marjorie's welfare, and back of the committee was the entire federation of her city. She took the train with a grateful sense of freedom. It was the opportunity Marjorie had been awaiting. No sooner had Mrs. Fielding left the city than Marjorie raised her temperature two degrees, just as an experiment. It was wonderfully successful. It made Chiswick scurry around the nursery with distracted concern. Marjorie raised her temperature a few degrees more, and Chiswick telephoned for the committee. The committee came, consulted, and wondered what to do. It decided to wait developments and went away again. As Mrs. Fielding sped toward the place where she was to exercise the noble functions of her mind, Marjorie in the nursery lay in the private secretary's arms, at times sleeping and at times with wide-open glassy bright eyes. The private secretary was staying overtime, but she did not mind it. She was glad to stay because Marjorie was fretful and would not let Chiswick touch her. Marjorie moved about restlessly in Miss Vicar's arms, trying fresh positions each moment and tossing her hot head from side to side. Her cheeks glowed red, and the same red overspread her forehead and gleamed through the tossed gold of her hair. Where her head touched it, the private secretary's arm burned as under a hot iron. The private secretary, who really had no voice at all, chanted, Mamie had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb, Mamie had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow. Marjorie fretted. She did not want to be sung to. She did not know what she wanted. She was not used to being abnormal in temperature. It made her peevish. But she was lovable even so, for through the peevishness stray smiles would creep. Sick little, please, excuse Marjorie smiles, to show she had no hard feelings, but just one great uncomfortable feeling. You dear, dear, dear baby, the private secretary exclaimed, and bent and kissed the hot cheek. It was a hard night for the private secretary, but it was a treasured night. It was blessed to feel the little hot baby resting in her arms and to be able to give up sleep and comfort and everything for the sleepless child. When the sun arose, Marjorie had fallen asleep, but tossed restlessly, and on her white skin from which the fever had retreated, thousands of bright red spots glowed and glowed. Marjorie had the measles. Chiswick suggested sending a hurry call for the committee, but while she was sending it, the private secretary routed Mr. Fielding from his bed. He came to the nursery in bathrobe and slippers and dashed out again to set the telephone bell clamoring. 
before the committee had its pompadours well under way the good old bulky doctor was bending over marjorie's crib very severe attack he said but not necessarily dangerous keep her and so on give her and so on i'll drop in after noon when the committee arrived an hour later it had nothing to do but approve or disapprove of what had already been done it decided to send mrs fielding bulletins nothing weak or exciting just cool calm statements of facts things in the matter of reports to a fellow committee woman mrs fielding received the first as she was in the hands of the reception committee marjorie has measles no cause for alarm it said she frowned why should they bother her with trifles about noon received another message it read patient's condition unchanged no cause for alarm she crumpled it in her hand and threw it on the floor it had interrupted an inspiring conversation on the higher life when the doctor visited marjorie about noon he sat fully five minutes with her which was unusually long for such a busy man and as he left he gravely remarked that he would drop in during the evening he did not like the way those red spots were fading when he returned he frowned mr fielding was sitting on the crib side holding one of marjorie's hot hands and gently passing his fingers over her brow the private secretary was on her knees at the other side of the crib but the doctor did not frown at either of these i don't like her condition at all he said not at all but i'll try to pull her through telephone my wife i'll not be home tonight will you marjorie lay in open-eyed listlessness staring upward at nothing her breath was short and rapid and her heart beat like the quick strokes of a trip hammer she wondered vaguely why this strange thing was happening to her and when the private secretary touched her she tried to smile and only succeeded in making white lines about her drawn dry lips it was nine o'clock when mrs fielding arose to read her paper before the national convention and as she arose she was handed a telegram it was from the committee patient seriously ill best possible medical attendance do not worry mrs fielding read it and walked to the rostrum president and ladies her paper began my child is an example of the benefits of scientific motherhood but she did not read it so as she stood facing her audience her paper trembled in her hand and as she looked at the lines written upon it they said but one thing patient seriously ill president and ladies she began my child is my child is the lines vanished and she faltered my child she said is is very ill tonight i must go of course you must excuse me and she turned and fled it was rather odd that the first articulate word that marjorie said in her life was uttered about that time she had grown more irritable and had pushed away her father's hand and the drink that the private secretary offered her what do you want little girl miss vickers asked and marjorie whole weeks ahead of her schedule said mama chapter two